Now, I know hanging somebody in effigy in Spain probably doesn't have the same connotation as it does if you were to do that of, uh, uh, about a person of color here in the United States, but it's still absolutely horrific. And, and what is in your makeup that that you would think to do that or say that? It's just and, – and, and now they're – you know, his representatives are saying he may not stay in La Liga. Um, I, I, I absolutely don't get it. You look across any of the major leagues, including MLS, you look at, at Premier League, you look at La Liga, you look at Syria. There are, there are a large, large number of black athletes playing the sport. I, I mean, what, what, at a certain point, when, when does, I mean, and, and they're clearly a, just a team trying to succeed. And the team management is trying to field the best team. And they're, they're, I mean, sports is that ultimate meritocracy that way. It's not as though it's not as though they're getting a leg up because they have to be, you know, black athletes playing from all over the world, right? It's the true global game. So it's just it's just they're on your team. But when they make a mistake, it goes it goes there. It, it's right. just or when you're calling out the other team, you go there. Like like we're back in we're back in Jackie Robinson time. It's yeah. just unbelievable. People need to watch Ted Lasso, man. Welcome to Wait What Sports Biz Chat with TP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes irreverent, okay, more than sometimes. Sometimes cynical and sometimes even a serious look at the business of sports. I'm Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. So, David, what's on your mind this week? Well, I, I want to jump into what I do think is very big news in, um, in the golf world with uh, Brooks Kepka winning the PGA Championship. But, but before we go there, I, I, I do want to say I, I feel a little bad because we have been basically blowing smoke up the ass of the NBA playoffs so much over the last few weeks. And um, uh, we now have two conference finals that are looking like sweeps. One obviously being a sweep with Denver uh, taking out LA last night and, um, and the heat playing Boston to tonight as we record this uh, with the heat sitting on a three, nothing lead behind just this unbelievable effort by Jimmy Butler. Anyway, yeah, um, not gonna, that we have any control over these things, of course, but they have been so great, really, until this point. Well, I will say two things. Heat and five. I do think Boston wins tonight. Um, and Grant Williams, what are you thinking? You didn't see what happened with Dylan Brooks and, and LeBron earlier? You don't get up in Jimmy freaking Butler's face during this year's playoffs. Yeah. You just don't. Yeah. Yeah, Butler wants someone to do that again tonight, but maybe not, maybe not um, him, but uh, he just, you know, he almost welcomed it. He just relished the whole situation. I listen, people have their own motivations. I don't know what they are, but it, it always is uh, a little, a little wild. Um, yes. You know, listen, the Lakers put up a heck of a fight. Um, they came back and actually uh, showed something. They took a pretty big lead last night. Yep. LeBron, you know, despite the number of years, 20 seasons in the NBA, is still playing at a pretty high level. But Denver's a better team. There's just no doubt about that. Denver is a better team. And you can't deny the greatness of, of Jokic, I don't think. 
No, he's been one of the they've been one of the top teams all season, top two or three teams in the league all year, and he's obviously a phenomenal player, right? Won right. multiple MVP awards and um yeah, and, and LeBron was at least talking about the potential of retiring last night. I, I hope he doesn't. I hope they can fill some pieces around him for next season and at the very least have sort of a farewell tour. Yep. Um, he deserves it. Yeah, I think, listen, he he goes out to win. Definitely a lot of detractors out there for LeBron James, but he he plays to win. I think his final shot was not a good one, um, of course, but uh, he played a, he actually played a great game, certainly had an epic first half. Yeah. Um, but I agree it would be kind of bad because he didn't go into this saying, this is my swan song, I'm going to play well. He went in with the mentality that he normally does, that he wants to win a championship. Uh, but it was not to be, obviously, this year. Um, okay, I'm going to bounce back over to the discussion of, of Brooks Kepka's, uh win. So, and I'm, I'm curious as your take on this because most of the chatter in the press coming off of this win starts from this spot that – this is a big win for live golf because Brooks Kepka was one of the uh, people that jumped, one of the top golfers certainly that jumped over to live. He had, he had come into the season already having won four majors, uh, two PGAs and two U S opens. Um, this was his fifth. I mean, that puts him up there in the, in the oh, top sure. ranks of great, of great golfers. Right. So there's no doubt that Brooks Kepka is a champion where I'm coming out on this, and we can talk about this from a number of different angles, is I think you'd have to be pretty foolish to argue that Liv didn't get good golfers or only golfers that were on their on their you know the end of their career like a Mickelson. But Kepka never fit that mold. He had an injury and he was struggling mm-hmm. and he had some some issues with his his confidence, uh, as was shown, um, you know, in the uh, in the Netflix docu-series that the PGA Tour backed on the, on the first episode of that. But no one doubted how, how great this guy was. And he was a, obviously a, a machine in the majors. So to me, and I don't hear, I don't hear Brooks after almost winning the Masters and, almost, and, and w- coming out and winning the PGA, talking about this is validation for Liv, but everyone else associated with Liv is and the media is. So that to me is kind of interesting. To me, this is a win for Brooks Kepka as one of the great golfers. And quite honestly, I'm wondering if he's thinking, you know, when's the best opportunity to jump back on the uh, on the regular tour or for that matter, just focus on majors and he does so well, he'll get his OWGR points. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah your, your point is well taken, right? We knew who the golfers were who went to live, right? Some of them are in the prime of their careers. Some of them were on the downside of their careers. So I don't believe it's a validation for live golf. Having said that, it may get a slight bump in viewership and attendance. I don't think that's long lasting. Um, And uh, listen, I have no idea what's going through, uh, what's going through uh, Brooks Kepka's head, but I think you may be onto something there, right? He, uh, he's a champion, right? By any any definition of the word, he's a champion. And I have to imagine, like most champions, he wants to play against the best every time he goes out to compete. And he just doesn't do that when he plays in live, right? He does when he plays in the majors, but he doesn't when he plays on on, in, on 
the live tour. So um, we'll see. I mean, and if I'm Jay Monahan, I take him back with open arms. I know there's probably some rules in place. And one of the things that Liv came down on the PGA Tour for was Rory and apparently some others trying to get people not to go, which I, I think is kind of ridiculous since Liv obviously was recruiting players to go. So I don't know how you can stop people from recruiting, you know, and trying to call it some sort of collusion. Um, but I, yeah, I would be all over Brooks Kepka like a cheap suit right now, right? I'd have Tiger there, you know, saying, Come on, Brooksy, because you know that's how they all talk to each other, right? You know, that's how Tiger <laughs> talks to everyone, right? Everyone's Brooksy or this C or whatever. Let's uh, let's ask uh, Rick let's Singer ask would know. Rick Singer. <laughs> <laughs> we had Rick Singer as a guest. I think obviously any inside knowledge he has that Tiger has now accrued over to us, and therefore we can we can say things like that. I think that's the way it works on this show with our guests. Is that the transitive These, property or the associative or the transitive property? I well, it, it, it third grade arithmetic. It, I have to actually tell you something. You're not going to like what I'm about to tell you because I've, I've withheld this information from you. <laughs> you quoted one of the math principles before. I did. And my, my very science knowledgeable, mathematic knowledgeable friend said I got it wrong. No, he had, he said, you said you had the wrong principle. I can't for the life of me remember what the principle was. <laughs> well, I guess there goes my shot at the Nobel prize in math. <laughs> I, I, I just had to bring it up because you brought it up again. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, but he's a regular listener. So we'll cut him some slack. All right. Um, that's my friend Brods. Where were we, by the way? We were talking about Brooks Kapka, but which which leads me to want to talk about the real star of the PGA Championship, Michael Block. Oh my gosh, what? unbelievable! What a... I... guy hits an ace on Sunday in the PGA Championship. You don't dream about stuff like that. You, you don't dream about it because it would be almost silly. That's like saying, you know, that's like Bill Murray and Caddyshack, like right, you know, Cinderella with masters. Yeah. You like that's like well no because he's already had a fairy tale right he's playing yeah. with Rory, freaking McElroy in the final round, of a major. He's a he's a club pro. He spends most of his time giving lessons and selling merch. Right. It was such a good story, and then to have that on top of it, really, it it was absolutely phenomenal. And he, you know, it's funny because his whole reaction was kind of back and forth. He knew the ball went in. Right. But I think he really was wondering, is this actually happening? <laughs> yeah. He won $188,000 in change. Yeah. He was the only club pro to make the cut. He's automatically qualified for next year's PGA mm -hmm. Championship. And he's been invited uh, to play in a couple of tour events coming up over the yeah. coming weeks. Really? So uh, that's, yeah. that's, just, that's just a feel-good story. I don't know how you can not feel good about somebody like that. Um. No, you'd have to have uh, you'd have to have no no empathy at all for anything um, to not. It it really was great, and and that's somewhat unique to the PGA Championship because it is run by the PGA of America, which is the organization of of, of teaching pros. So right. it it makes that not that not that pros can't qualify for the other majors or teaching pros can't PGA. No, pros. because well, because the 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 Open and the U.S. Open are both as their name would suggest, open. Anybody theoretically can qualify for those yeah. events. But but this is special because it's 
you know, the tournament is in essence run by the PGA of America professionals and one yep. of their own had this fairy tale. And you could see there wasn't a touring pro around him that wasn't loving what that was all about. And that's the great story about golf. And and if I could go back a little bit to the live thing about live trying to claim that they are moving golf forward or taking golf in a new direction, expanding golf and all that stuff with their team concept and all that. I'd say these are the stories that help do that. Not kind of gimmickry around um, around some of the games and 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 DeChambeau, who who had a fairly good PGA Championship, mm-hmm. you know he he came out strong right after saying it validates everything we've said from the beginning. We're competing at the highest level and we have the ability to win major championships. No one doubted that a couple of these guys had ability to win major championships because they had before. Um, and I hope people can see the light now. To me, again, that's not the right story come out of it. And then he went on to say, at the end of the day, both sides are going to have to come together at some point. It's for the good of the game. And I'm saying, so you no. you you potentially broke something to then get it out. And yes, Liv absolutely forced a lot of change at the PGA Tour. Um, but to say you now have to get together when I don't think anyone on the tour side is looking at what's going on at Liv, team concept, 54 holes and, and the like. And saying that's what we need. Yeah, do they need to modernize it, play to young people, create these storylines? Sure, but that's it's just like what I don't think. I don't think the PGA Tour is any more motivated because Brooks Kepka won than they were yet. The you know last week, um, but it certainly does support the fact that Liv has quality players on its tour. Whether they're as motivated as Brooks Kepka, we don't know. I mean, other than the Masters, Mickelson won't sniff a major again. He plays well. Mm-hmm. Augusta suits him well. Um, he played, you know, he, so so he and he's kind of a malcontent at this point. Patrick Reed's always been a malcontent and he's not particularly well liked. Shambo uh, has a reputation. You just bought yourself. You just bought yourself a, a lawsuit. I know. I'm going for the major lawsuit. I'm actually disappointed I haven't been sued yet. DeChambeau is DeChambeau, Um, and and Brooks and, and DeChambo have obviously had their past. And then a lot of these guys are just people that we 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 don't know nor nor like. Yeah, I, will. I I disagree with the thing that DeChambeau said that they have to come back together. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think, I, I don't think there'll be one fewer viewer of the next tour event. There may be a, because Kepka won the PGA, there may be a slight bump in attendance and viewership, as I said earlier on live, but I don't necessarily think that's long lasting. And I don't think, you know, uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's a it's a question of how long the Saudis are willing to fund this completely non-commercially viable property right now. Right. The CW broke away during the final round a couple of weeks ago to their regular program, including things like infomercials. Right. So clearly not must-see TV. Contractually, contractually. Gotten deals on those infomercials, I guess. Yeah, I guess um, you know. I guess you know. Floby's keeping the lights on. Yeah, um, I do. I do hear that they've guaranteed that that won't happen in the future. But yeah, not not it happened not once. Right, it happened once. It happened once. Yeah, it would never, yeah, hasn't happened in a major other major sports since the Heidi Bowl, nineteen sixty eight. That's right. Um, what about you? What, do you want to move on to another topic? What do you got on your list? Well, we had the launch of the WNBA last weekend. Um, some big stories, not the least of which was Brittany Griner returning to the court 
which I thought was awesome. Um, and uh, some other news, right? Uh, the uh, State Farm, right, which has been a big sport of the NBA, has uh, announced that they're going to be the presenting sponsor of the Friday night games on Ion Network, which personally I love the Ion Network because I get my fix of um, uh, Law and Order, SVU, and NCIS, and uh, Criminal Minds, and all those shows. And WNBA games on Friday and night. And now w Friday, WNBA games on Friday night. So uh, I think that's a, that's a great story. Yeah, it, it was a big comeback. Brittany came back for the opener at um, uh, at LA. So she was playing at, at Crypto.com Arena. Heard some people kind of be a little upset that the game wasn't sold out, but it looked like um, the crowd was decent. And she certainly received a pretty warm welcome there, uh, I think. But yeah, no, it's a big story to come back. And it, it doesn't sound like she's exactly where she wants to be stamina-wise and, and game-wise, but uh, uh, she will probably get it back because she is one of the great great players of the game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of great players, Brianna Stewart. Oh my goodness for the Liberty. Yeah. She's, she's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I think the game has come a long way. This is a big year. We, we've talked about it quite a bit that, that 2023 is a, is just a great potential year. Uh, NWSL continues to do great things. Obviously it's a women's world cup year um, and WNBA season, I think, and they're building on a lot of success and a lot of interest. The news about, you know, those sponsorships are always really big. Um, uh, Kathy Engelbert was in Toronto for a game that that sold out nearly 20,000 people at Scotiabank um, Arena to watch a, a WNBA game. I mean, these are these are big stories. You know, the balance or the coverage, the balance coverage or the coverage balance, I should say, um, is starting to it's not evening out, nor necessarily should it. But there's attention enough to go to help bring those sponsors in. Uh, that will do, I think, wonders for the game. I mean, you see, you know, Candace Parker appearing with Steph Curry and ads. Uh, you have um, with Sue Bird uh, appearing. You have you have a number of brands that are using, uh, you know, iconic NBA players uh, along with stars from the WNBA. And uh, those things raise the profile and, and generate more interest. So all of these things that um, that have been in the in the works for a long time. And I think that Kathy Engelbert is stewarding quite well um, since she's taken over the helm at the WNBA um, uh, are, are starting to pay off. So a, a good amount of attention going there. Yeah, the, the continued growth in women's sports is great to see. Um, you know, the, the USL recently announced that they are seeking a first division status for a women's league. Um, run by a young woman named Amanda Vandervoort, who I met several years ago when she was at Major League Soccer. Um, really smart executive. Um, I'm not sure if the market can support two first division women's soccer leagues, right, because it had so much trouble for so long supporting even one. Um, but she's a smart person. They've got eight teams involved. They've got Octagon on board to help with marketing and branding. They've got Legends on board to help with sales. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a chance they can do it. Um, the last thing I would hate to see though, is, you know, two leagues sort of diluting yeah. the product. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see what yeah. happens. They have not been, they, they have not been granted first division status by us soccer. I believe they do. There's a number of criteria that a league must 
fulfill in order to get that designation. I think that they are on track to get it. So we'll see what happens. We'll certainly continue to watch it. So want to move over to college sports for a second. One of the big topics we discussed with lawyer Mike McCann back last year was mm-hmm. what would or could Congress do anything at this point on the NIL situation, uh, name image likeness for uh, college athletes. And his his view was that the you know the ship is a bit sailed and now it's going to probably be up to other people to uh, figure it out and, and, and maybe get some congressional approval or, or, uh, or justice department approval at, at some point, but there is a bill floating through the house, um, that looks like it's more of one to protect schools as much as anything else, um, to make sure that the NCAA can't come after them, but also providing certain safeguards for what NIL and so forth is what it doesn't have in it is anything that, that, protects the players and and where this will end up from a political impasse it looks like is is those that are looking at some form of legislation on the democratic side are suggesting that there needs to be some health coverage and various other insurance that a normal employer would get and their position being that ultimately that's the way it's probably going to go and rule which you and I have discussed and feel like it probably will end up going there where where athletes are at the college level are deemed in some way uh, to be basically employees on the bill that's going through right now, um, there that will not be anything that will ever happen to it on the Republican-led bill. So I, I doubt this is going anywhere, but it's interesting that they're trying to take it up. Yeah, I, I, I you know, we don't typically get political on the show, so I'll refrain from making the joke when you said um, it might be tough for Congress to get something done on NIL. I was going to say it's tough for them to get anything done on anything, but well, that's not political. That's just, <laughs> that's factual. <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, I do, th- I, I do think that there has to be more sort of a better structure around the way athletes are treated. And I don't think that whatever is done will be the ruination of co- college athletics, right? It will change them. It may make them more akin to professional sports, but I think that the popularity of college athletics, particularly men's and women's basketball and football, but also some of the so-called Olympic sports as well, will continue to be what it's always been. Um, I, I have always been of the mind that everybody was profiting off these student athletes except for the student athletes. And so I, I do I do like the idea that somebody's looking out for them, that they do have the ability to monetize their name, image, and likeness. But I hope we don't get too far away from the mission of colleges, which is to educate young men and women. When you look at the percentage of athletes um, that go on to professional sports, it's so low that um, you would be giving doing these kids an incredible disservice if you're not ensuring that they have every opportunity to complete their education. Well said. So, well said. Watch this space, as they say. <laughs> Wanted to talk a little bit about something that I think you voiced sort of uh, being incredulous that we still have to have these conversations in this day and age. And and on one level, I agree with you, but on another level, I'm I'm not surprised, which is racism in global sports. We had three 
issues that have come up over the last couple of days, two here in the United States and one in Spain in, in La Liga football. Um, but let's start and talk uh, about a situation encountered by our friend and past guest on this on this show, Steve Jake Laletta, uh, president of 2311. There was a situation over the weekend where somebody got on the team comms uh, after the race and uh, spouted a racial epithet, epithet towards Bubba Wallace, their driver, who most of you know is is an African American. Shocking. Yeah, I but mean, not surprising. You're, you, you, I hear what you're saying, and so my voice of support it, it's disbelief in that it should be disbelief. Right? Yeah, you can't normalize it, right? Yeah, right. and you can't say that. Oh, it's just we're we're working through this, because it's just it's just stupid the reaction that people have when something doesn't go their way that they just go there. I mean, it's just. You, you, you hate the guy so much he has a good run at the all-star race and that's what comes over as comms and and by the way even before that even before the race by the way during intros he got booed and and our friend Jake he he's been in full support of what of what Bubba's trying to do and Bubba both tries to have fun with it but he also pushes back because he he you can see that he's losing some patience here and why wouldn't he yeah. Um, so when he got introduced and he got booed, I mean, he's getting booed mostly because he's a black race car driver. Yeah, let's be honest. But, he, right? but, but it's also those that are booing will say, well, he's, you know, he's, he's created all these, these, these false stories, which are, which is just so ridiculous anyway. So I was psyched to see Jake support because Bubba came out and kind of like, he kind of like danced, celebrated. It's like, okay, bring it on. I, I can take it. I'm a big boy. We're going to, we're like, this is the way your reaction. Celebrate, you know, celebrate me. And, and uh, anyway, I thought the fact that, that Steve had put out a, a tweet showing that video and then came back again to support what was going on. And, and, and that's what had really caught my attention anyway. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just so disturbing at this point. It's just so absolutely, I mean, stupid, unfortunately it is stupid, but you can't just say it's stupid because obviously it has the, it has the chance to just do, do some damage. And despite a lot of, I think, very noble and, and solid efforts by Steve Phelps and the team at NASCAR. Absolutely. They're going to be held back by, by some of this behavior, by this behavior. Yeah. Let me, let me clarify something earlier. Or I want to clarify my position. Not everybody who hates Bubba Wallace does so because they're racist, right? Because you have heroes and villains in NASCAR and you have drivers you like and drivers you don't like. Um, you know, it was, you know, you could be anywhere on the track back when Dale was racing and Jeff Gordon and even later on when it was Junior and Jeff Gordon. And you could be anywhere on the track and you knew when dale or dale jr was being introduced by the by the by the cheers and you knew when jeff gordon was being introduced because mm -hmm. because of the booze right so there is so not everybody who hates mm -hmm. bubba wallace does so because they're a racist right. but if you're a racist nascar fan by definition you hate bubba wallace yeah i think that's a very story. that's a very fair point we need to be careful about that i need to be careful about that because you are absolutely right and more recently kyle bush you know would get booed quite a bit. And, yeah, uh, and he and, relished 
yeah being the villain yeah. right he would yeah he and would it, bring it on and i think from that level you know bubba probably will have you know some fun with it he doesn't doesn't seem like he's planning on stopping driving a race car anytime soon and obviously the uh management at 2311 seems to be pretty behind him yeah so um yeah just it, it just but but that post-race bit on the radio was just yeah it deserves and, to be called out yeah and as we you know as we said it wasn't the only thing that happened over the yep. past few days uh an announcer for the oakland a's was fired on the air use the n-word Apparently, they were in Kansas City. They went to the Negro League Museum. Um, Bob Kendrick, who runs the Negro League Museum, is an awesome individual, by the way. Um, but he said to his announcing partner, we went to the N-League Museum on the air. Now, he later apologized for it. But the, if that word's even coming out of your mouth and, and in the context of being on TV... It's not the first time you've used it. It's not the first time you've thought it, right? Maybe the first time you've said it on air, but it sure as hell ain't the first time you've thought the word or used it in conversations with people. Don't, don't no. roll off the tongue. No, no. The, the, the odds would be very against that. Yeah. So, so he was fired, right? And, and I'm not, you know, I believe that, you know, that's people no make mistakes, but to me, that's, yeah, that's a fireable offense, right? For sure. Um, and hopefully he learns from it. Uh, there was a situation just as bad in La Liga where uh, Real Madrid star Vinny um, was called, and I, I hate to even use this, but I have to, I have to say it in order for people to understand how horrific it was. Uh, the Valencia fans, as he was coming off, the bus were calling him a monkey and chanting monkey as they hung him in effigy. Now I know hanging somebody in effigy in Spain probably doesn't have the same connotation as it does. If you were to do that of, uh, uh, about a person of color here in the United States, but it's still absolutely horrific. And, and what is in your makeup that, that you would think to do that or say that it's just and 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 now they're you know his representatives are saying he may not stay in la liga um I, 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 I absolutely don't get it you look across any of the major leagues including mls you look at, at premier league you look at la liga you look at syria there are there are a large large number of black athletes playing the sport i i mean what what at a certain point, when, when does, I mean, and, and they're clearly a, just a team trying to succeed. And the team management is trying to field the best team. And they're, they're, I mean, sports is that ultimate meritocracy that way. It's not as though, it's not as though they're getting a leg up because they have, you know, black athletes playing from all over the world, right? It's the true global game. So it's just, it's just, they're on your team. But when they make a mistake, it goes it goes there. It, it's right. just, or when you're calling out the other team, you go there. Like like we're back in we're back in Jackie Robinson time. It's yeah. just unbelievable. People need to watch Ted Lasso, man. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, and and listen, this is an observation of one person. I have mm -hmm. absolutely no uh, factual data to back it up. 
Never but, stopped us before, by the way. Yeah, certainly has never stopped me, right? But my observation is that football is the most diverse sport there is. Certainly among the most diverse sports right. there are, right? You have teams in, in any one of the global leagues that not only has diversity of color, um, but diversity of uh, ethnicity, of, of uh, country of origin, right? Because, so because of point, that last point alone, I think it... it, it suggests strongly suggests i would say almost guarantees that it is indeed that because player we're, the the sport is finding players in all corners of the of the world not the case with you know with with baseball not the case with american football yeah. not the case with basketball but a little more with basketball well i'd um, say basketball and well, basketball is close basketball hockey and baseball right go to certain countries right, right. you know the caribbean uh, for baseball, Japan, right. Korea, um, basketball is broader because ba basketball yes. is, basketball is certainly played um, through through more parts of the world, I believe, at a higher level than baseball. I would agree. I would probably, uh, yeah, which certainly has its pockets. But listen, all sports have a certain globalness to them. American football is trying; it doesn't have a lot of people playing it elsewhere. Right. Um, yeah, it's a very difficult sport yeah, to, I mean, to, to stand up in other countries yeah. because of the number of people who are required and, and the, 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 the cost of outfitting and equipping yeah. the teams. I mean, tennis and golf in some respects are bigger, but, but you, know, you know, those are sports that tend, still tend to lean to higher socioeconomic uh, um, backgrounds mm -hmm. uh, than, say, soccer does. And that's the beauty of, of, of the beautiful game. Yeah. Is that is that it doesn't take much. So re stars really can emerge from nearly anywhere. And that is what makes it the true global sport. And by that, I do believe that it, it suggests that it's it's clearly the, the most diverse. Yep. Um, you know, a quick note on because tied to this issue of, um, of of racism, we lost a sports giant last week in Jim Brown. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest all-time players ever to play. And I really wanted to bring this up with you because um, because of the fact that, you know, some people say he was an even better lacrosse player than a football player, which is just pretty remarkable. But here's a guy that retired at the age of 30. He was in the NFL for nine seasons, all of them with the Cleveland Browns. Eight of those seasons, he was the leading rusher. Uh, this is a, a, from a time period of 57 to uh, 65. That's 1957 to 1965 for, for you folks out there. Uh, but then he also, uh, following his early retirement, he went into acting and then led a, a life of activism. But And this is where we need to be careful, right? Because Jim Brown was a complicated man. And he also had a history of, of alleged uh, uh, violence against women. So he's not perfect like none of us are. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing what those allegations were because they do sound as though they were serious. Uh, but, but this guy certainly was a giant as a player, one of the greatest athletes the world's ever produced. Um, and, uh, and then he, he really went on to lead a pretty aggressive life along with folks like Muhammad Ali to, uh, um, uh, you know, to speak out very openly uh, at a time when athletes weren't doing it um, against uh, racism. Yeah, um, very complicated life. But uh, I I knew him like most of us did as a football player. But then as a as a young kid getting into lacrosse, I learned more about his background. He's a fellow Long Islander. Grew up and played at Manhasset High School before going to Syracuse. He once uh, famously said, "I'd like to play lacrosse six days a week and play football on Sundays." 
Um, <laughs> you know, unfortunately played at a time where there wasn't a lot of coverage of the sport. There's certainly no, as far as I know, no um, uh, footage of him playing, no surviving uh, films or tape. Um, but I do know that they actually changed uh, the rules of the game because he would take the ball in his stick, which at the time was a wooden cross, right, and would hold it against his chest um, and simply run down the field towards the goal. Imagine trying to stop that coming at you. Um, you know, I yeah. never, I never uh, struck any particular fear in the defender <laughs> when I was uh, when I was on the field, but I can only imagine what it was like. Uh, to, to watch him going down. But, yeah, clearly he was a, f a phenomenal lacrosse player and stayed involved as an ambassador of the sport um, up until a couple of years ago when, um, you know, he did some work with the Premier Lacrosse League when it launched. So a great ambassador for the sport. Um, as you said, you know, very active in social justice issues, uh, especially civil rights. Um, but you have to, uh, you know, you have to look at somebody's life in totality. And those those uh, allegations of domestic abuse are, are serious, and and they're uh, they're they're very you know sad to hear about and have to talk about. So and where do you, I, I'm curious to just go on the light end this one on a lighter note before we go to break. Where would you put him on your list of best running backs, or for that matter, best football all time football players? Gosh, um, you know, having never seen him play. I could only go by what, you know, I've read and heard. Um, you know, for me, it was, you know, your guy in Chicago, Walter Payton, mm -hmm. um, and Barry Sanders. Yep. Uh, Barry Sanders could could move his body in a way that, that his avatar in Madden football wouldn't be able to do. His center of balance was just unbelievable, his ability to cut and cut back. Um, yeah, you those know, are those are those are my there. two. I'm I'm very biased on Walter. He's because he's my favorite football player of all time, and it's probably my one of my top two athletes of all time uh -huh. for a lot of reasons. And the Chicago aspect of it is a big a big one. Barry Sanders is the other one that I think is great. Listen, I think if Jim Brown played a few more years, I think it's hard not to have him in easily in your in that top grouping. Um, Emmett Smith, from a yardage standpoint, obviously would be up there, yeah. but I don't think he. I actually personally don't think he belongs with with those three, just in terms of overall greatness. But um, it, it obviously can't go wrong with with any of those running backs. Yeah, Gail um, Sayers would be somebody I would put up near the top. Yeah, as well. I mean Sayers' career was was only cut short because of because of injury, but you know yeah. certainly as the you know the his ability his, to cut back was rivaled Barry right. Sanders. Which which probably made his knees that much more vulnerable, which was the yeah. which was the thing that obviously launched the you know, the reason that Brian's song became a movie because it was his comeback um that Brian Piccolo helped him through. So yeah. uh, he definitely has the the you know the most emotional football movie made about him. Um and certainly is is one of the all time greats. Yeah. Can't just um, comment. Yeah and I think in terms of modern players he never had the success at the professional level but I got an opportunity to see Reggie Bush play a few times in person when he was at USC and my goodness his body would be almost parallel to the ground when he would cut and then cut back he was just he yeah. was so dominating as a as a college running back. Yeah. Um all right uh let's take a break we'll come back in a sec.
All right, we are back, and it is the time of the show where instead of looking backwards, uh, we try to take a little bit of a peek ahead and um, uh, give you an idea of what uh, what we have our eye on over the next uh, week or two. So, Tim, I'll throw it over to you. So I'm going to be watching Miami-Boston tonight um, because uh, I made a prediction earlier in the show that, uh, <laughs> that Boston would hold on at least for one win in the series, so we'll see if that happens. Uh, we talked sorry, about Bob, sorry, Boston fans. <laughs> we we talked last week about how uh, the matchups that will eventually take place in the Stanley Cup Finals will not be something that Gary Bettman necessarily would have anticipated or even wanted from a ratings perspective. But my goodness, every one of those games has been so close. Um, it is just amazing hockey. I think every game so far has been uh, decided by one goal, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and only one of them last night, um, Florida, Carolina, did not go to overtime, and they won one nothing. Yeah. So. Yet the Stanley Cup playoffs, conference finals, are potentially moving to sweeps as well. Yes. But yes. the games have been great. But not, not because one team has dominated over their opponent, anything but. Um, yeah, so it, it'll be really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, what about yourself? What do you? Yeah, to? I want to go back to the the racing. It's a big Memorial Day weekend. Is always a big racing yeah. weekend, um, and there's three. Obviously, the Indy 500 uh, is on. There's been a lot of news and excitement about that. The 100 Days to Indy has been running. I still have not had a chance to take a look at that. I'd, I'd like to see how it's done. Something else on the CW, by the way. Um, and then, of course, the um, uh, Coca-Cola 600 uh, is being run from Charlotte, which is always the week after the all-star race, which we mm -hmm. talked about previously with the Bubba Wallace situation. Interestingly, this year, the all-star race went back to North Wilkesboro Speedway, yep. which has not been, uh, NASCAR has not run there in 27 years. So it was a big effort to get that there. It's a small venue for the all-star race. Um, seats only about 30,000, uh, which is one of the reasons they had moved the race, but it's an iconic you know, place back in Junior Johnson uh, country of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of cool to go back to uh, that, get that facility back up to speed and see them race there. Unfortunately, we also saw this incident with Bubba Wallace there. Yeah. And then, of course, the Monaco Grand Prix is running. Uh, last week, I had mentioned that I was going to watch um, uh, the race from the Emilia-Romagna region of uh, Italy at Imola, and that rain, that that race, as I had mentioned, that there was rain and it did get canceled. Mm -hmm. And there's some tragic flooding going on there that hopefully people are starting to get on the other side of that. But it was a really tough situation. And, and Formula One did a good thing at cancel. But now they move over to Monaco, which is that classic, classic race. And an interesting change this year. Formula One has taken over the broadcast. It was the one race on the circuit where they used a local... Um, production company, basically a local station mm -hmm. um, that handled the broadcast. So, so what you had there was a broadcast that had all the new modern cars and equipment and everything, but it looked like a broad, looked like a broadcast from from the 1960s. <laughs> um, I mean, it was like is, is Mario Andretti racing here? What's going on? That's that was my feeling anyway. But um, uh, but that's going to change. So, uh, hoping it's actually a great broadcast and looking uh, forward to seeing that. We also wanted to give a couple shout outs to people. I'm going to turn it back over to you to uh, uh, give your mention. Yeah, thanks. I, I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Chris Hack, 
uh, formerly president of New York Red Bulls, formerly president of uh, Philadelphia 76ers, who's uh, this week, as we speak, moving over uh, to the north of England to become chief commercial officer or chief business officer, I forget what his title is, with Aston Villa, the Premier League club. And um, uh, for those of you who don't know Chris, um, love him to death, gave him my start when I went out on my own, one of the first guys to take a chance on me and hire me for a consulting project and um so i want to wish him the best and what about you you've got somebody well yeah I, I first of all chris is a great guy and what a what a great career he's had and so congratulations to to him uh, on this new uh on this new uh role yeah my shout out is to joey chitwood who uh has been uh, tapped to lead the president's cup uh which will next be played in 2026 uh most recently joey has uh, been the tournament director of the arnold palmer invitational but um, Joey has a massive background in motorsports, as it turns mm -hmm. out. And for those of you that go way back, he was part of a, a, a the Chitwood family that used to put on shows that would entertain people um, to their heart's delight at, at races all over the uh, over the country. And so he comes from that background, but he had uh, a, a huge career with uh, International Speedway Corp. Ended up at you know, running things like Daytona Experience at the uh, Daytona International Speedway. Uh, I was got to work with him uh, when he was responsible for things at Chicagoland Speedway, which was a longtime client of mine. Um, so really, uh, really happy for him uh, uh, on this opportunity and makes me want to uh, follow what's going on in the President's Cup uh, uh, even more. So it's kind of going inside rather than at Arnold Palmer uh, companies uh, moving over to um, uh to the President's Cup, which is run by the Tour, mm -hmm. versus the Ryder Cup, which is run by PGA of America. So congrats to them, uh, both Chris and Joey. Um, and by the way, if we're being honest, that's a bit of a shameless plug to get these guys on the show because we know they'd both be <laughs> awesome freaking guests. So <laughs> we, will, uh, we will be communicating with them. Anyway, um, it's time to say goodbye. We appreciate uh, everyone out there giving us a listen. We appreciate all the encouragement we get and your engagement across LinkedIn and Twitter, YouTube, et cetera. Uh, please follow us on your podcast platform of choice and share with others that you believe might be interested uh, in this content. So thank you. And until next week, I'm DP. He's McGee. We'll talk soon.